welcome today. We have quite a few announcements. Uh, the first thing we want to do right now is to show a video, I believe, right, with the Stevens Ministry. We're good to go? All right, so we're going to go ahead and showcase to you guys a video from the Stevens Ministry. And that is a ministry that we not only sent representatives to get trained with, but we also want to implement in the next couple of weeks. So if this is something that you're interested, um, I'm sure that you can find, yes, you can find an announcement in your bulletin. It's the second from the bottom. And that you can contact um, the uh, website, uh, the emails, I'm sorry, on the bottom of that announcement to be able to participate as a minister. So we'll go ahead and show that video right now. So as you can see, we are having some technical difficulties, but in spite of those technical difficulties, Stanley gave a wonderful presentation yesterday on the Stevens ministry. So can you come on up and we'll turn on this microphone and you can give us a brief on Stevens ministry. Come on, Stanley, you're better than the video. Uh, wow. <laughs> Sorry, I put you on the spot right there. <laughs> this is where man's better than machine. Is it right? <laughs> Amen. Okay, so um, so basically, you know, we um, I would say pain, uh, pain and suffering is really inevitable in your life. Do you agree? We all go through some difficult times, and this is the ministry that we uh, bring people to cross to experience God's love and healing and care, so that they can become whole again. And you no, know, caring is not easy easy thing. For example, do you know how to listen? very effectively, and do you know how to tune in to people, people's emotions, feelings, and how do you deal with, how to deal with some difficult situation like people in grief, or people depressed, or even have some suicidal thoughts. Those are difficult situations. Mm-hmm. So we want people to be well-trained, equipped, so able to bring God's love to people. So this is the ministry about. And you know, if you're interested, go to website and our um, you reach any of the five of us, me, Elder Bill, Grace, Keaton, where else, Esther. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, most important people I forgot, sorry. Um, so, yeah, reach any of us, we'll explain to you, ask us about ministry. we'll explain to you. I hope this ministry will make impact to those people hurt, also can change your life, because from this ministry, from this training, you will learn how to relate to people, really, you care and love. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Well done, Stanley. I put you on the spot there, but technology doesn't always work all the time. Um, There's a couple other announcements that we want to highlight for you guys uh, this morning. Uh, The first one is on the first of the announcements is that we have another lunch, a Monday lunch. I'm sorry, Sunday lunch. Sorry. Next week. So one week from now, we will have another monthly lunch. That was the word I was looking for. And during that lunch, we will have a ministry fair. So if you guys have been curious and interested and desiring to help out in some way and serve, 
Um, as a believer, we're called to serve. Um, we really recommend you to join us for that particular lunch to be able to find out what we're doing on this uh, English ministry. And then also another one that I want to highlight is on um, 713 to 720 of the His Mansion trip. This is in July 13th to July 20th. And so uh, this, is a, uh, this is a time where people are able to go to uh, New Hampshire and be able to not only help and heal themselves and their families, but also to learn from the Lord in the rehabilitation center at His Mansion Ministries. So I went there last year. It was fantastic. So if you guys are interested, talk to Janet Yao, and the email is right there for you guys as well. We're going to go right into the message. Um, the PowerPoint, we good with the PowerPoint? Yes. Okay. Um, if not, don't worry. Go ahead and join me, if you may, to Ephesians chapter 4. Please uh, grab your Bibles. If you need a Bible, please let us know. We'd love to get you a Bible right now. Um, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, uh, but we are going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 1 to 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. I'll give you some time to find it. Verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Should you take the next slide? So I was thinking about this particular passage. I was reminded about a conference that I just came back from. It was a shepherd's conference um, about one week ago. Um, this is a, an amazing experience for me. As you guys may know, uh, Shepherd's Conference is led by John MacArthur down in Los Angeles. And I was overwhelmed when I went to this place. 4,500 men showed up at this conference. All of these men were pastors and leaders and elders and deacons of their churches. And to be in this conference with so many men, I was overwhelmed when I heard them hear and, and sing worship songs like Be Thou My Vision and How Great Is Our God. Most of these songs didn't need any music and you were just overwhelmed and moved by what they said. And then the preachers and the pastors began to preach to us pastors. And while they were doing that, I was reminded about my call. What a privilege I have to be a minister of God's word. To be able to preach the word of God to you guys. 
Every single chance, it's a blessing and a privilege. And in the same way, I I believe deep down that because of this opportunity that I get to be a pastor for you, the way I live matters. The way I treat you matters. The way I care for the family matters. As I began to think about it, it's not just for me but it's the same also for you that you being a believer in Jesus you being a Christian for God to choose you predestine you to be part of the family for him to send his son to redeem you to justify you to die for you For the Holy Spirit to come in and and to cause you and seal you to be part of his family permanently. Because of all the work that God has done in your life. It's not just me also that needs to worry about the way I live. But we also, the way we live matters as well. The way we treat each other, the way that we care for the family, it all matters God. And so there's two things that I want to do today within this passage that I want to show with you, share with you is in Ephesians chapter four, verses one to six. I want to talk about two things. First of all, is how we can live. How does God want us to live as Christians? And secondly, how is this all possible through the work of God? Let me open up in a word of prayer. Dear God, I pray right now that we would be wholeheartedly committed to living life your way with your help. God, I pray, Lord, that we would understand this morning that the way we treat each other, the way we live actually matters to you. From all that you have done, both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how could we not miss out on this opportunity to live life the way you wish? God, give us the strength and give us the reason. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. So when I look into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, what I end up seeing is a beginning, so to speak, a turning of a new chapter, not just literally, but also figuratively. If you look at the book of Ephesians, you will notice that in in chapters 1, 2, and 3, what we've already covered, uh, Paul kind of unpacks his theology, how it is that we are chosen, how it is that we are saved. He kind of goes into the nuts and bolts of how he took both Jew and Gentile together and brought them underneath one body in one church. And this magnificent demonstration of his power is now transitioned in chapter 4, verse 1, in to the application of the theology that he has done so well in demonstrating in the first three chapters. So to speak, we've hit a halfway point in the book. From this point forward, in chapter 4 into the remainder to chapter 6, we'll begin to see what does it look like? How does God want me to live? How do I apply all that I've learned in the first three chapters into what I need to do? And so he starts off Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, which is a command that will carry us through the remainder of the book and this is not an option but it is a command for every believer regardless if they're serving regardless if they're a pastor this is what paul is challenging and commanding for us to do so join with me if you may in ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 verse 1 is where we'll start he begins by saying this 
I therefore, Paul speaking, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Paul is saying at the very beginning of this chapter, how you live matters to him, matters to God. And so what he chooses to do in verses 2 and 3 is describe how it is that we are to live. There are five ways in which we are to live. He starts out with the first of the five ways in verse 2. And he tells us that the first thing that we ought to do is be humble. You can write that down in your notes. Be humble. And we're going to go through these five points in the first point of the sermon. Humbleness, simply put, is a lowliness of mind. It can be looked at in two ways. Number one, you either have a warning against false humility, this belief that you're nothing, the belief that you are absolutely a worm. And it's also a warning against believing that you're at the center of the world, that everybody and everything revolves around you. If you were to ask me, Yuji, what do you think you struggle with the most? I would probably side with the first of the two. In my mind, I struggle with this idea of false humility. And it's kind of showing in the way that I constantly want to try to prove myself with what I do. I'm constantly doing something. Every single task, every single assignment, I deliberately take on because I think if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, then I'm worth nothing. It's a very dangerous situation that I realized in this verse for myself. It's the danger that I cannot separate my worth from what I actually am able to accomplish. And so because of that, I end up trying to take on everything because if I don't do anything, then I'll have nothing to show for it and I'll be worth nothing. But there's another type of arrogance and pride. And the other type of arrogance and pride doesn't need to be in the center of everything, but they think they are the most important thing in the world. They don't have to do everything, but they rather would choose to tell everybody else what to do. This is the kind of person with arrogance and pride that walks into a situation and constantly dishes out commands. But when it comes to actually picking up to clean up, to taking out the trash. Sometimes you see it in this church. They slip away and they're never to be found. I used to work in food service in college. And those of us that have worked food service before minimum wage, we know when we're cleaning up, we know the supervisors and the managers that are full of themselves. We know that when the customers come in and we're swamped, we know that when things really get tough, those supervisors and managers somehow creatively think of ways to slip into their office and lock the door. All the while, we're out there doing the heavy lifting and all the work. And then finally they show up and make their presence known when there's nothing left to do. Thanks for nothing. 
In the positive way, humble people are not afraid to roll up their sleeves and get involved. They're not afraid to get to know you. They're not afraid to open up. They're the kind of people that don't think any task is too low for them to do. They have the lowliness of mind to know that every little job matters. They're the kinds of people, I love this, that know that more is caught rather than taught. In other words, if I see you doing something that I'm supposed to be doing, the chances of me remembering what you did is a lot higher than you lecturing me on what to do. In other words, they show us how to live by the way they live. On the other hand, there is another facet that we need to be clear. Humble people know who they are in God's plan. They know what their purpose is. They know they, though they can do everything, they're not supposed to do everything. They're not afraid to take the lead. They're not afraid to step up. And though they may be in the center of everything that goes on, they don't have to be known to be in the center of everything that goes on. One of the best ways that I love seeing this in our church is on snow retreat. I don't know if you guys know how much blood, sweat, and tears goes into preparing for snow retreat. We start in October for February. And what you may not know behind all the scenes, behind all the activities, behind all the stuff we do from the games to the sermons to the booklets to the uh, cabin groups that everybody complains about, from all the things that we do, you may not have guessed that there are actually four youth and three adults in the center of everything that takes place. Some of you here can't even tell me who those seven people are. Humble people know how to put the focus and keep the focus on Christ. They could slip into the background and no one would know that they were in charge. The second thing that Paul calls us to do in uh, chapter 4, verse 2, is to be gentle. Is to be gentle, verse 2. Now, gentleness is actually a very deep word that I had really big troubles in trying to understand. So what I did was I was able to find the opposite. Aristotle tells us that the opposite of gentleness is being mean. And being mean is being excessively angry or never angry at all. It took me a while to understand that definition of being mean. It makes sense that gentle people, when they have something powerful they need to say, gentle people, when there's a discipline that they need to execute, when there's a correction that needs to be made, gentle people know that they need to stop and consider what is the best way to put the truth. In other words, how can I package what needs to take place in such a way that has the highest possibility of guaranteeing that the other person will receive it? Gentle people don't skip this step. And the truth of the matter is a lot of us love to skip that step. 
with the people that we're closest with, don't we? We love to give them the cold hard truth. We often say this phrase, let me be blunt with you. Let me be honest. And normally what follows right after we say something like that tends to be more hurtful and harmful than helpful. The truth of the matter is, is that sometimes it does more harm than good to not be gentle. Does that mean, though, then, that we cannot say anything that hurts people? Does that mean that we can't give people the cold, hard truth if we know it's going to cut into them or hurt them? Jesus didn't take it that way, to be honest, right? Jesus was someone who was not gentle with his words. He was someone that would challenge someone by calling them Peter Satan. He called Pharisees a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs of death. But every single thing that he said and the way he said it was under careful consideration. You see, I like the way that Aristotle ends his definition of being mean. I believe that one of the last things he said was very truthful. One of the meanest things you could do was never to get angry at all. It is very unloving. It is very unkind. It is not gentle for you to be silent with the truth. It's also very dangerous to let people figure it out for themselves. For you to not speak and for you to not help is a very unkind thing to do. And oftentimes it could be considered as revenge. I'll let them figure it out. I'm just going to sit here and be quiet. And I struggle with that. Because a lot of times when I say something, the only time I say it was when it's oftentimes too late. We're not just supposed to be humble. We're not just supposed to be gentle, but we are also supposed to be patient. We're supposed to be patient. Patience is a little bit easier. It means to endure the most difficult circumstances without abandoning hope. I love the way that one author put it. He says, it's like if somebody lives in a besieged city and the enemies are at the gates, The peasant in the city will go and plant turnips in the courtyard, waiting for them to be ripened, to be enjoyed before the city falls. Patience means that you are willing to endure the difficulty because you know that God has something special prepared and planned. The best way I saw this in my ministry here at this church is during VGM, during the first trip we had at VGM. We, uh, as leaders, were walking the hallways of the school that we were sleeping in at the time. And then one of our members came up to us and said, Yuji, I have a serious problem with one of our members. Conflict is not uncommon during VGM trips. And they, and they were like, I really, really have a problem with this person. And this is what I want to do. And he started to share every single thing that he was going to do about the situation. And they said, but, and this is where it gets good. I'm going to sleep on this. I'm going to wait 12 hours before I do anything that I talked about. 
I'm going to pray to God that maybe he has something that he wants to do in this situation. And so he delayed the situation for the sake of having the time to consider how to deal with the situation. Even though it probably hurt him, even though probably people expected him to say something or to do something about it, he had the maturity to be patient about the situation, to consider what God wanted to do. And I'm going to be honest with you. We're going to get into a little bit this for the next two points, but I'm going to be honest with you. There are times when you're going to be criticized. There are going to be times when somebody's going to say something to you and it's going to tick you off and it's going to make you angry. You're going to want to let them have it. And I'm getting pretty emotional now because I know how that feels. And you're going to want to say something slick and hurtful and wrong. And as much as you want to, 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 to rise up and have the perfect answer immediately for every single situation, whew, take a moment. Be patient. Pause. Even when I come up to you asking you to serve in Sunday school or snow retreat or to be a discipler or to be a counselor and, and I go up to you and I ask you to be volunteering in our ministry and ministry fair next week. Pause. Pray. Consider. Most things, believe me, I'm telling you this from bitter experience, most things do not need to be answered in haste. Most things can wait. A lot of things don't need to be rushed. And if it's a person who's rushing you to make a decision, they probably have issues. Be patient. Pray about it. Consider it. Think about it. Before you say something you need to apologize for, before you make a decision that you need to back out of. Take your time. Do it right. And I'm not good at that. We're not just supposed to be humble. We're not just supposed to be gentle. We're not just supposed to be patient. They say, though, that in ministry you need two things. A soft heart and a thick skin. I want to say I have a soft heart. I want to say that. I really struggle with a thick skin. The fourth thing that Paul tells us to do is to bear with one another in love. To bear with one another in love. I love this Peanuts cartoon right there. Just something fun. I am telling you from experience. This one is coming straight from the heart. People hurt you. They hurt you with their words. They may not physically hurt you, but they hurt you with your with their words all the time. I think about it because I struggle with this. I've got a pretty good memory. Not with what I read. I can't remember what I read. But I remember what people say. When people make a comment... When people say something critical about me or what I do, 
If you guys are feeling me here when you are in the ministry and you pour your heart and soul into that lesson or you do your best to make things perfect and you got your blood, sweat and tears in the food that you're serving, don't don't worry, I'm not doing that. And 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 your and your your heart is wrapped up in what you want to do and then somebody says something snotty like Why can't we go organic? And it's just like, those are jokes, but there are some seriously nasty things that people say. And, and, it, and it gets bad because like at the end of the day, on Sunday afternoon, that's when the chickens come home to roost. And you begin to think about all those things that people said throughout the week. You think about their comments, the way they treated you, what they did and how they did it. And you, you, it's really hard for me to forget those things. I've, so many countless nights thinking about what people have said that you hear both directly and indirectly. And out of all those sleepless nights, I think I've learned how to handle it. Let me share with you. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 17, you can write this down if you want. Jesus says, how long do I need to bear with these disciples? You know, he might be joking, but I don't think he is. He's actually hurting because of their knuckleheadedness. He's like, how long do I need to bear with these guys? They're so stupid. They say things and they do things. And it's like, what are you doing? But you know what? I really do feel that that our, our Lord and Savior looks upon his disciples and he's genuinely grieved for them why'd they say that why'd they do that there's a times when I when I take a step back and get away from my emotions and I begin to think about why'd they do that to me why'd they say that and I begin to grieve inside because that's what came out of them And then I begin to think about maybe why is it that they did what they did? Maybe that's just the demonstration of their personality. They're just like super critical people in nature. Maybe they've just made a habit of it to be devil's advocate all the time. Maybe they just really care about you and the ministry that they don't want to see the church messed up. Maybe that's the way they were raised. Maybe that's all they've heard. And so that's all they know how to do. Maybe that's the thing that they're struggling with right now because they know that they're doing it and they know it can't continue. Maybe they're going through a tough time in their life at this moment. Or maybe they've been so hurtful with so many comments, with so many people, that honestly, you're the last one they have to talk to. And when I think about why they say what they say, why they do what they do, I genuinely start to grieve for the people that I have sleepless nights over. Because I consider to myself, Lord, how is it that you want me to respond to someone like that, that I have to bear with? And then I think about all the people that have to bear with me, with my faults and mistakes. 
Certainly when I consider these things, I will not respond with arrogance or with being mean. But I will be gentle, humble, and patient with them. The fifth and last thing that Paul tells us in how we are to live, we're not just supposed to be humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another, but we are to maintain the peace in the church. We are to maintain the peace in the church. This is one of those ones where in order for unity to survive in Hawk 5, we have to be peaceful with one another. Some of you guys know where this is going. You can see from the pictures. If unity is to thrive in Hawk 5, we need to have peace with one another. Some of you guys know I am and I love to keep fish, okay? And these are not actual pictures. I tried taking actual pictures. They look really ugly. And so these are two types of fish that I keep. First one is the sparkling grommy uh, to your left, my right. And then, uh, then the other one is the Corydoras habrosus. Actually, my right, your left. Anyways. So long story short, these are two very delicate fish. The Corydoras habrosus and the sparkling grommy. They don't get that big. They only get to be about an inch long. And to be honest with you, I haven't had the best track record in keeping this fish. I'll let you figure that out for yourselves. Because to be honest with you, there's only so much you can read and there's only so much you can study and there's only so much you can investigate in order to provide a perfect environment for this fish. But then after you have this fish in your life, after you are investigating how it's reacting to its environments, you can tweak the aquarium to meet its needs. But if those fish were to die... I could never bring them back to life. And here's the key. Unity is just like an organism. In fact, it tells us in verse 3, if you look at the Greek, this unity that we're spoken of in verse 3 is from the Holy Spirit. It's not something a church can manufacture with a bunch of sameness. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to keep this gift in this church, you must be peaceful with one another. Otherwise, just like these fish, you'll kill it and you won't be able to bring it back to life. And so, this is something that we need to be aware of. We need to resist the temptation of being the same. I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes in the church, we'll say, oh, everybody's young. Look at them. They're so young. This must be a young church. So this is always going to be a young church. Or we look at this and everybody's Chinese. Oh, I guess this is going to be a Chinese church, and it'll always be a Chinese church. Or we'll say, oh, look at everybody. They're, 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 they're beautiful, young, white-collar professionals. This is going to be a beautiful, young, white-collar professional church. There's nothing supernatural in sameness. Honestly speaking, if you wanted that, you could find that in any tech company, to be honest with you, Right? The truth of the matter is there's something supernatural when God is able to bring so many different types of people into the same church. 
And yes, because they are so different, they will conflict. They will have arguments. They will have different ways of seeing the same thing. But then if we ourselves, as brothers and sisters in Christ, don't maintain the unity, if we ourselves don't be reconciled with one another, both individually and corporately, then the Holy Spirit's unity is going to vanish and we won't be able to bring it back by trying to be the same with one another or making everybody assimilate like the sameness with one another. So if you have a problem with someone individually, go leave your offering at the altar and be reconciled with that person. If you know that your age group or your friend group or your fellowship has a problem with another age group, fellowship, or friend group, then go be reconciled with that group. If you know that you have 10% of the argument to apologize for and they're wrong for 90% of it, go take your 10% and be reconciled even though they might have 90% of the problem to apologize for. Don't let disunity exist in the church lest we lose the unity that the Spirit from amongst us. God calls us to be humble. He calls us to be gentle. He calls us to be patient. He calls us to bear with one another. He calls us to maintain the unity within each other, but then he gives us a reason why this is all possible. And so in the remainder of our passage that we will close with here today in verses 4, 5, and 6, he shows us how this is all possible, and that is, in fact, by the work of God. God is the reason why we are able to live the way we are to live. He just already models it for us within the members of the Trinity. And you can see that if you look at verse 4, it talks about the Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 5, it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at number 6, it talks about God the Father. And so in verse 4, he talks about the Holy Spirit, that we have one body, one spirit, and one hope. We can go to the next slide. I really, really love the way that this works together because with the Holy Spirit, we have one body. You and I are very different from each other. And I like to use this illustration of threads. Every single one of us is a little different. We've got a different way of working with each other. But what happens is, is that as one body, we come together under Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that is taking us like pieces of thread and then knitting us together into one piece of cloth. The Holy Spirit is bringing the unity into the body. And so we are being knit together, all together, into one piece of cloth. Now, that one piece of cloth is able to have some sort of momentum. It is able to have some sort of purpose. And so that is the one hope that the Holy Spirit is able to give us. That's the guy that was, you know, planting the turnips. He was always hopeful that he would be able to enjoy them before the city fell. In the same way, the Holy Spirit reminds us of our future hope. The Holy Spirit knows you're not finished yet as a church. You want to become something in the future. And in order to get you to that place that he wants, wants you to be you need to be knit together as strands of thread like a sail 
And then when the Holy Spirit blows and the wind blows, you are so tightly knit together that you guys move together towards the hope of the future calling that God has prepared for you to do. But guess what? There's more. If you decide to take those threads and dismantle them, if they decide to break, if they get to, if the sails get tattered and the wind is able to blow, then guess what? You're going to be left behind as a church. Satan knows that. He knows the best way to make you a dysfunctional church is by spreading conflict and disunity among every member, both individually and corporately, so that you guys don't come together to catch the Holy Spirit in what he wants to do. If we are disunified in what we do, we will never have discipleship. We will never have meaningful ministry. We will never make a lasting impact of a church if we are disunified because the Holy Spirit will flow through us and we'll never catch the wind. We won't become what God wants us. You have to make sense about this all because when Jesus came down to earth, what did Satan do? The first thing that he did was tempt Jesus away from the Trinity. So what do you think Satan's going to do to you when you become part of the church? He's going to tear you up from the people inside of it. And the church is going to be completely dysfunctional because we won't be able to work together on anything. And thus nothing would be accomplished. But the good news is that we have the Lord Jesus Christ to smooth over all our differences in verse 5. It says we have one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. It gives us this because Jesus was the one who came down from heaven down to earth. And when he was on this earth, completely sinless and perfect, he decided to go on a cross. You guys know the story. And when he went on that cross, when the nails were put through his wrists and the blood came out, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, there can be no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And if you believe that he truly did die for you that day on that cross, that there's even more than that in 1 Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 15 that he came back to life again on the third day if you believe that he died for you if you believe that he came back to life again if you believe that your name was on his mind when he died 2,000 years ago you are a believer in Jesus Christ and he is the one you can put your faith in because of what he has done we have hope and that's the beautiful thing when we have baptism in a couple of days, we're going to have, bapt- I'm sorry, a couple of weeks, we're going to have some baptisms. We have about 11 to 13 people getting baptized on Easter. Praise God for that. But I'll tell you this, baptism is both personal and public. So when I became a believer, I died to my old self into the water. As Jesus died in the water. And when I come back to out of the water, I'm becoming a new creation, just like Jesus rose from the dead. And if I believe that that baptism is true, both personally and publicly, I'm identifying myself with what Jesus has done for me. But then he doesn't end there. He finishes off in verse 6 by saying we have one God. And Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And so you might say after a sermon like this, well, Eugene, that's nice, but you know what? I'm just not like you, man. 
man, the way I was raised was a lot different from you, man. So I don't need to listen to what you got to say, man. I'll look at you and I'll say, well, you know what? Guess what? I'm not like you either, man. I don't have to listen to what you say either, right? I was born and raised a different way. God's going to look at you and say, but you know what? You're going to start doing it my way. Because no matter where you come from, no matter how you were raised, God is over all, through all, and in all. One God has ultimate authority over all of our lives. So when he says the way you live matters, it matters. This is why Paul started the passage here today with being a prisoner for the Lord. It's like Paul is saying, I am a slave to God. I am a servant to God. I only do what he wants us to do. And so now... With lives submitted to God, we ought to live our lives in a way that pleases him, like the way we've listed. And we'll continue to learn as we remain through the rest of the book of Ephesians. But I want to give you guys some closing challenges and application. You can turn to your notes on this one, too, as well. I want to challenge you guys here today, this Sunday. I want you to soften your hearts if you haven't done so already. This is kind of a, a soft heart, thick skin kind of application. I want to soften your hearts. I want you guys to be challenged to go beyond your age group or your fellowship and find out how they're doing. Find out their story. Find out their need, their spiritual needs, where they're at spiritually with discipleship and making disciples. Find out how they're doing. And after you go and interact with people outside of your fellowship and your age group, um, being careful to hear there and what they're doing. I want you to discern what God is telling you to do specifically. Be patient about it. Don't rush this. Go seek after God's kind uh, uh, guidance with this. And then after you find out what God wants you to do, I want you to stick with it. I don't want you to quit. Because to be honest with you, when you start doing what God wants you to do, people are going to say some nasty things to you. You're going to want to Lose heart, as Paul says, but stay the course, stick with it, be strong, get that thick skin. And then finally, the last thing I want to challenge us with here is this is particularly applicable to us who get older, is be on guard against disunity, both individually and corporately. And if there is something that you know that you know you need to be reconciled, purify your worship to God by handling and reconciling that situation before the next Sunday comes. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I ask and I pray to see a beautiful church, a church united under Christ, following Christ, learning from your word and being moved by the Holy Spirit. God, I pray and ask that you would bring us together as a family. Help us not to be disunified or be tattered in threads. But Lord, I ask and I pray that it would be a majestic demonstration in spite of our differences, in spite of the potential conflicts, that you would still keep us together. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be exactly uniformed or duplicated, or assimilated to a certain worldly way. But Lord, I pray, God, that we would live life the way you would want us to live it, how you want us to live it. Help us, Lord, in this room, if we've been, if it's been called to our attention, 
to be reconciled with someone. Maybe there's unfinished business in this room. Maybe even there are people who have left because of the conflict we've had. Lord, help us, Lord, to bring together the body of Christ under you because of what you've done for us on the cross. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.